0: Hi, I'm Dr. Emmanuel Ako. The early signs of a heart attack can vary. The most common include squeezing across the chest, a feeling of unease, and a sense that something just isn't right. It can be easy to dismiss the early signs of a heart attack as the symptoms don't always feel severe. It's never too early to call 999 and describe your symptoms. Your NHS is here for you.
1: Well, look at this! Here's the guy here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? There's been an accident. Your father is dead and my pot
2: roast is ruined. I'm really sorry about your dad, man. Your time is up is up,
1: right? My father was just killed in a car accident. David, I'm so sorry. What can I do? Uh, nothing. Thanks. You don't have to go through this alone.
0: Well, well. This is what you've been running away from your whole life, buddy boy. You only get one life. There's no God, no rules, no judgments except for those you accept or create for yourself. And once it's over, it's over. So why not be happy while you're here?
1: I am so glad you're dead. My brother is dead. There is no death.
2: Wasn't it a relief when you realized that?
1: Nate, thank
2: God! (laughs) Why must you always be in such deep denial?
1: (laughs) I am not in denial! Ah! Hi, I'm Jack. This was me in 2013. A closeted mummy's boy with a newly dead dad and a crap perm. So when I got into uni, it was a big deal.
0: Welcome to the best three years of your life. And that's just for your mum.
1: <laughs> and that's where I met Danny. He looks
0: like a take-me-out contestant. Little bit of money. I'll keep my light on the him. And this lot. So what's your type, Jackie? Like what? Girls. I don't really have one. <laughs> I'll say that sometimes. Don't steal tampons. Oh, you never know who might pop round. You need to lose your virginity soon. Lose it with your driving instructor.
1: Gays can't drive. We were born to be driven. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I tell my mum and the pleasure.
0: Hello
2: and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Acho, and I have just finished the third season of
1: The Umbrella Academy. Hi, I'm producer Dave, and uh, with lots of uh, shame and trepidation, I still am working my way through the second series of Umbrella Academy. Uh, well, I was going to ask,
2: have you seen Because normally I, I mentioned some TV shows and you're like, nope, never heard of it, never seen it or whatever. But you, so you've at least you're working your way through the second season. Yeah. Of Brother oh,
1: Academy. yeah. I mean, it's really great. It's really good.
2: So for, for people who don't know what we're talking about, Umbrella Brother Academy uh, so far, three seasons on Netflix. It is I, it's based on a graphic novel and it's sort of focusing on. Uh, again, this is another superhero type uh, TV show, but this is a superhero TV show where it, it is it, there are seven young people, I'll call them young people, um, who, are, who are all born on the same day in 1989, um, and they are adopted by a mysterious and enigmatic multimillionaire, and he raises them to be like a team of superheroes. And from the very first episode of the first season, they're obviously, they're all offbeat. They have their issues. Um, One of them dies, and this is all before the beginning of the the show, so it doesn't matter. Um, One of them dies. The other one disappears. It disappeared when he was 13. And so we catch up to all of them when they're, we would say, early 30s, we will say like early 30s, when the dad dies the the, the adoptive father dies and so they all have to come back for the funeral as in all the people who are alive have to come back to the funeral and it's at the funeral that the 13 year old returns and when i say the 13 year old he's called number five because they all have numbers Uh, as there's number one number two number two three number four number five number six number seven number five is the one who disappeared when he was 13 and he reappears at the funeral, still as a 13-year-old. However, apparently he has lived to be, what, so he's like a 60-year-old in the body of a 13-year-old. It sounds weird and, and confusing, and it is. It is weird, it is wacky, it is really, and it, it's it's a great show. I really, really enjoy *Umbrella Academy*. It's very inventive in the way that it plays around with its superhero characters. Uh, you get to follow different, uh, you know, characters. Each one uh, in their interactions with each other. You have people like Elliot Page in it. You have Tom Hopper. Um, and uh, Colin Fury plays the uh, the adult dad, uh, the adult dad, the the the, the father, uh, and a number of different people just pop up here and there. And it is it's a great show, in my opinion. It's a great show. And I've watched, I I didn't, I binged the first season, binged the second season, the third season, I binged halfway, stopped for about six hours, and then jumped back in and finished off the second half. And it is, it's great. I really enjoy it. Um, Producer Dave, you halfway through season two,
1: what is your impression of the show? Oh no, I really enjoy it. Um, It's one of those shows which doesn't really take itself too seriously but some of the, they touch on some very very serious themes as well um one of the characters uh who keeps on coming back unbidden is uh one of the, one of my favorites I'm trying to say this without giving too much away and another ca- character who is just all over the place complete drunkard is uh another of my favorites i mean the two that disappear
2: I, yeah you're talking about clouds yes, right? yeah Class, uh, he played by Robert Sheehan. I first saw Robert Sheehan in Misfits. Any of you who followed Misfits, the, again, another superhero TV show, this time it was a British superhero TV show about these young offenders who are doing community service, and there's a very weird thunderstorm, and they all get superpowers and Robert Sheehan, I can't remember who he plays in it, but he's, he was my favorite in that. Every time I see him pop up in different things, he always seems to be my favorite of the group. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, he plays Klaus. This yeah, movie. Tom Hopper so, is,
1: is, is another one that I thought was, okay, was interesting as well. I mean, he's, when I look back at his uh, story, he starred, he starred in Merlin. He was one of the, uh, the knights in Merlin. Merlin, okay. Ah, yes, you're right. But the first thing I saw him in was Black Sails. Where
2: the yeah, um it's a it, it, uh, pirate pirate drama series. Um, I think it was Bruckheimer that produced it and is following, oh, who was it? Who who which 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 famous pirate? Um, oh what was it what was the name? Uh Captain Flint, that's it. It follows Captain Flint and Long John Silver. So you know Long John Silver from Treasure Island, et cetera. It's kind of like a, I I I don't want to say it's a prequel to Treasure Island because it doesn't really. Actually, no, it kind of does hint towards Treasure Island later on. But Long John Silver is the main protagonist. Well, actually, the main protagonist is Captain Flint. But you see him through the eyes of Long John Silver. But this is before he's lost his leg, right? So Long John Silver, obviously popular for the fact that he has a peg leg, etc. You see him as a young grifter, etc. So Tom Hopper is in Black Sails. That's where I first saw a fantastic actor, British actor. He's fantastic. He plays Luther in this one, where he's like a giant. He's not. He's number one. In the umbrella academy he's a like a muscular and he, he has like sort of uh, obviously there have been experiments that been done on him his G- dna is fused with uh, sort of chimp dna so he's got massive muscles and he's
1: very very super strong and whatnot so yeah sorry i interrupted you, you were saying- no no no, I, I think you've said it said it all to be quite honest uh, about tom hopper so yeah i enjoy i i really enjoy it and i'm just like crawling through um Umbrella Academy because I don't want to watch it too fast. I'm, I'm not into the binge cycle at the moment, so mm, I'll leave you I'll leave that to you.
2: Yeah, no, for me, that, that's the thing for me. Whenever, whenever I the reason why I binge, and we, I know we've had this conversation numerous times. The reason I binge is because there are a lot of things, a lot of TV shows out there that I want to watch, and I know that if I do because of the way, because of how com, com, convoluted my life is, mostly from my through my own fault. Um, you know, if I keep focusing, if I say I'm going to just stick and watch one episode at a time and try to space it out, I will never come back to watching something. Right. So it's always like that. Um, There are some that will drag me back. Better Call Saul is one of those ones that whenever it comes out episodically, I will make an effort to go back and watch the next episode and so on. Um, But when you drop something like Umbrella Academy, I'm binging, I'm binging the entire thing. So, uh, The Boys is another one that keeps dragging it out. And I'm like, okay, I understand why you're dragging it out. You're dragging it out because that means it gives you longevity, because we'll be talking about The Boys for years to come. Have you started watching The Boys yet? Uh, no, no. Oh, come on, man, come on. The, the, the episode that happened last week, um, I'm not going to spoil the episode for anybody who hasn't seen it. And obviously, if you, if you hear what I'm... If you've listened to the show, you know, you've heard me talk about The Boys constantly. It, it, that this season they've been building up to a particular confrontation, right? And you know how in TV shows, when they build up and build up and build up and you know that you're waiting for that moment for something to happen, right. And then often when it happens, especially in superhero TV shows, it's, you know, it, it's disappointing, right? You're like it is disappointing. Not in this case. There's a build up, a build up. And when it happened, when that meeting happens, boy, does it happen. And boy, oh my And I'm I'm trying not to spoil it, but you need to go watch it to see what I'm talking about. It happened, it's, it's like it met my expectations and then exceeded my expectations just from that meetup alone. And I was like, you know what? The, the Boys is solidifying itself as top five favorite TV show of all time for me. For me, number one, is is always going to be Firefly? Nothing is knocking it off its perch. Number two, I'm going to go with The Wire, and then things then tend to shift around. Sometimes it goes Breaking Bad, sometimes it goes Walking Dead. Walking Dead is now dropped off the top five because they went on too long, uh, and so on. But The Boys is
1: secure between three and five as my top top five favorite TV show of all time. Well, so, I'm I'm got a top five favorite, but um, one of the things I'm trying to do is um not to get not get too heavily invested in superhero only shows That's the reason mm-hmm. why you heard me talk about big boys when you were talking about boys, yes. boys yes, yes 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 which um i finished watching and i've watched again as well because it's it for me was a very very well made and touching story but just made me laugh as well as uh, some that's, very- what channel, that's what channel Correct. Yeah, that was on Channel 4. It's finished now, but uh, it's available on all four. Uh, episode awesome. 4 was the first episode I saw, and it had me in stitches, hence the reason why I went and watched the entire thing. So, yeah, I recommend that one anyway. I'm gonna, I'll give it a watch. I'll give it a watch. you are listening to
2: Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ackle.
1: And I'm Producer Dave.
2: And on this week's show, we've got in our spotlight section comedian Archie Maddox, who's going to be talking to us about his stand-up career, uh, various shows he's been doing. He's going to give us some tips on how to succeed in stand-up. He's also going to be talking about his, because his, uh, the- he's a stage writer as well, he's a playwright. He wrote uh, uh, A Place for We, which is going to be coming out on digital theater pretty soon. As soon as we get that, those details will plaster it all over our social media. So you'll get to check it out. But before we do that, let's jump into film and TV news. <laughs> excellent so in our film and tv news sec- segment today um producer dave brought this up to brought this to my attention so producer dave what was it that crossed your radar uh, that you have brought to my attention
1: well it was uh BET. Black Entertainment Industry Awards on Sunday last week, and I heard nothing of it up until the point where it was reported on the following day, the next day, and not because of the awards themselves, but because of the fashion that was on display on the red carpet. Um, And I think some of the news organizations took it upon themselves to say the fashion, but really what they wanted to do was to highlight one particular um artist who turned up um near enough topless on on the red carpet um i'm i'm, I'm sorry but I, I i saw it and i was like oh my gosh are you kidding me <laughs> are you kidding me you really want to talk about uh, the bet you don't even want to talk about the awards that were given you just want to focus on who was showing what <laughs> on the red carpet and um yeah, so I looked at the awards themselves and I, and I saw that they actually honored three particular um, movies, or should I say, they had an award for best movie, best actor, and best actress, and those were the awards that they gave out. Uh, yeah,
2: because uh, in Black Entertainment, obviously this is Black Tim Television, which is more, it's an American award show, kind of like, you know, it, it, as they say, it's like the Golden Globes for, uh, for black entertainment, so it's it's mainly focused on uh, on uh, um, African American artists, you know, singers, musicians, etc., uh, trying to celebrate um, the you know African American experience. So you mentioned that there were the, the, those three categories in for film, uh, best film, best actor, best actress. Which what what took from each category?
1: Well, for best movie um they had the nominees were candy man king richard respect space jam and new legacy summer of soul and the harder they fall and the winner was king richard uh, space jam didn't win yeah moving on <laughs> <laughs> for best actor they they nominated adrian holmes anthony anderson damson idris Denzel Washington, Forrest Whitaker, Jabari Banks, Sterling K. Brown, and Will Smith. And I didn't read out what they were for. So going in that order is Bel Air, Blackish, Snowfall, The Tragedy of uh, Macbeth, that was Denzel Washington, Uh, Respect, Godfather of Harlem, that was Forrest Whitaker, Bel Air, Sterling K. Brown was This Is Us, and Will Smith, again, for King Richard. And um, the winner was Will Smith. So that's two for two for King Brown. I
2: mean, I, uh, King Brown, King, uh, King Richard. So um, I, I, I'm guessing he obviously um, stepped up to receive his award and slapped whoever <laughs> was. Uh, was right? <laughs> yeah,
1: there was, there, was, there was no reports of that. But moving on, oh, okay. best actress, they had Anjune Ellis for King Richard, Coco Jones for Bel Air, Isaiah Ray. No, Aisha Ray for Insecure, Jennifer Hudson for Respect, Mary J Blige for Power Book 2, Ghost, Queen Latifah for The Equalizer, Quintina, Quinta Brunson for Abbott Elementary, Abbott Elementary, Regina King for The Hard of They Fall, and Zendaya for Europhia and Spider-Man No Way Home. And the winner was Zendaya. See,
2: I, this is the reason why I I got I, I I got you to read out those names because for me we'd have been here for an hour and a half for me trying to pronounce every single person's <laughs> name on that list. It's like I'm like uh, Queen Latifah and Zendaya and some other people. <laughs> so Issa is- 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 Rae, I know, I know Issa Rae. So Issa insecure. I'm surprised she didn't win uh, for insecure. Um, I'm surprised they gave it for Zendaya as well, because, I mean, look at the the two that were the two films or the two programs that they pushed for her were Euphoria and Spider-Man. No Way Home. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I mean, Spider-Man. OK, you know, what? I, I, I'm not going to get political, I'm not gonna get a political at all, um, because it's just a very weird decision to go with that. Don't get me wrong. I like Zendaya. I think she's a great, I think she's a a good actress. She is a good actress. I've seen her in a number of things other than the Spider-Man stuff. Euphoria, I haven't watched, but I hear she's absolutely terrific in that. There was one that she did with um, John Washington. Uh, Hold on. I'm just going to do a quick, it was was a two-hander that she did with him. Uh, Zendaya, And it was, uh, hold on, I'm going to find it right now. I'm going to find it. It is Malcolm and Marie. That's it. Malcolm and Marie uh, with with Zendaya and John David Washington. And it was great. It's a great, great uh, film. That I would have said would have been nominated. But either way, she won it. Congratulations to Zendaya. Congratulations to Will Smith um, for both, uh, for the awards. And that was the BET. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Let us jump to our spotlight. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako.
1: And I'm producer Dave.
2: And we're joined today by a comedian, a playwright, who's going to be talking to us about some of his work, some of his comedy, some of his theatre stuff. Please tell us your name and start with how long you have been in stand-up comedy for. Uh,
0: My name is Archie Maddox. I've been doing stand-up for about 10 years, I think, about that. The pandemic has kind of messed stuff up a little bit in terms of timings and that, but I think it's 10 years.
2: I, with the pandemic i just add an extra five years to everything so it's literally a case of uh you know it's if it was prior pandemic pandem- pandem- then you're adding five years to that so if you've been doing it for 10 years plus pandemic that's 15 years to me
0: i take it away i'll be instead i'll take five years away because of the pandemic i couldn't go out and do it, so, so i've been
2: doing to five years then fair enough
0: so you go reverse you just reduced it by five years yeah yeah why did you go into stand-up comedy uh, I went well originally because I was I was a writer before I was doing stand-up and originally I wanted to be an actor but I at the time there wasn't really like colorblind casting as they call it now. It was very much more like I, I always thought, you know what, um I ain't black enough to play Othello and I ain't white enough to play Iago. So I was like, well what what am I gonna do here? I'll just write my own stuff. So I started writing my own stuff, but that never quite fulfilled the thing that I wanted. There was some kind of performance need that I wanted. Uh, and I was doing a, a play, a completely improvised play. So like, there's no story or nothing. You just get up and do it and then try and form some kind of dramatic structure as you go on. And a, a comedy promoter come up to me after it and said, uh, I, the exact words was something like, your mind is weird. you sh- And I, like, I took it as an insight. I went, you, innit? And I like, I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, and he said, no, no, no in the way that you look things is a little bit like off, off centre. So it's quite, it's good for comedy. You should try doing comedy. I didn't know you could do it. I thought I didn't. I, I don't know what I thought. I don't know what I thought stand up was like, but yeah, that's, that's how I got into it.
2: That, I mean, I, I would definitely say, I, to be honest, I straight away would have taken that as a compliment, just your mind is weird. I'm like, yeah, that's that's basically what would be said in my uh, on my obituary is like, here lies Marcus E. Ako, his mind was weird. Actually, it'd probably be a whole bunch of other stuff, including perversions but that's different. That's just mine. Uh, yeah, producer Dave is agreeing. You're not even agreeing, that's, that's excellent. Uh, so, so as you, you got into comedy, uh, and you, if you go on looking at your, uh, your, uh, your history of work, there's been a, the, there a lot of praises that have been sung about your comedy career. Uh, you know, how much you want to watch, you're such a highlight evening standard. Um, you've, you've pretty much racked up a whole bunch of accolades. One thing I'm very interested in when I talk to comedians is about the moments that they bombed on stage. So can you tell me one of the most memorable bombs that you have had in your comedian career? Uh
0: one of the most memorable is, there's a lot Whoa, the most the most memorable ones are the most uh painful in it they're the ones that make you or or they're the ones that you enjoy like i quite if i die i quite enjoy dying really spectacularly it's quite it's a lot of fun for me um a very memorable one was when i was quite new i was maybe two years in three years in and uh it was the first time i was headlining a professional club i was closing uh, a club in nottingham called just the tonic and i wasn't supposed to be headlining i was supposed to be on in the middle which is you know the the parentheses easy spot because that's the one where there's the least pressure someone's opened up the gig you don't have to close it out blah 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 but then uh, there were some acts doing junglers. Uh, this is back when jonglers still existed. I mean, it exists again now, but I, I don't think it's the same because they owe me money. And so if it is the same, they need to give me my money in it. Uh, but. There, so there was another the headliners who were supposed to close the gig I was doing. They had to uh, come in the middle they were closing the Jonglers gig, and uh, they are they are very they're a brilliant duo called the Raymond and Timkins Review, and they do they I think they was on Britain's Got Talent a few years ago. They do like stuff with props and music, and they they're pretty they're very hard to follow now for a middle spot where I was is impossible. And the first I think the first minute I did pretty well. And I was like, Oh, this is gonna be a piece of piss. There's this, this gonna be no problem 20 minutes of this. And then for the next 90 minutes, it was just silence like that. In fact, there weren't even silence there was like you could hear people yawning but angrily yawning. You know what I mean? There was like, Oh, <laughs> and I, was, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to speak to the audience. And that one was like, now, if that was happening, I would know how to like roll with that. But back then it was just, yeah. And it was it was one of the few moments I come off stage. I was like, I don't think I should ever do this again. <laughs> this was so bad. I should give this up.
2: In, Producer Dave asked one of our previous comedians, how do you deal with, what, what do you do? How do you recover from, from such a bomb? How did you recover
0: from that moment? Uh, well, I, cause I was uh, driving up and down the country. So on that night, driving back from Nottingham to London, I stopped at a service station and got free, uh, Batman birthday cakes from like a late night waitrose or something, and just ate that in the car on the motorway. <laughs> that was my way of recovering. Hence why I put on so much weight doing comedy. Cause <laughs> I died a lot early on. So I, I ate loads coming back in the car. It's really bad. If you, um, I think diabetes is very close for me. I've got to be honest.
2: That's a great tip for how to deal with bombs. Just eat cake, specifically Batman cake. Or if you're a Marvel fan, Spider Man cake. So you just keep, you, you find a cake and eat. That's it.
0: Uh, red don't taste as nice as gray. Gray tastes yeah, sweet. No.
2: Well, I, it suits the mood, right? After a bomb. <laughs> you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako.
1: And I'm producer Dave.
2: And we have with us comedian and playwright Archie Maddox. Uh, Archie, one of the uh, plays that you wrote, um, which. Uh, it's pretty much one of the, we, the reasons I was able to find out about you and get you onto the show was A Place for We, which uh, was done last year. Uh, as a playwright, as you said, you started writing because you're an actor um, and you moved into that that uh, realm. And it's again, it's a play that got a lot of um, great acclaim from critics, etc. Star It stars a number of people. Blake Harrison from the interviews is in it. Tell us about A Place for We. How did it come about um, and what was your sort of way into writing that that play?
0: Uh, for that play, I when I first come up with the idea, I was working in a funeral home in uh, in Tufnell Park. So I was basically being like a little mini undertaker, you know, going and doing burials, doing cremations, picking up, which is if someone's like died in the care home or get them, take them to the morgue, whatever. I was doing all of that, and I, was very interested by the different rites that people went through in regards to death, you know, different cultures, observed different uh, death rights. And I just found it really interesting. And around the same time that I was working there, one of my aunties died. And in the Caribbean, uh, we have a, a thing called a nine night or nine nights which is where basically it's a wake over nine nights for the person that's died. And then you send them into the the spirit of them into the next world and you celebrate their life and blah, blah, blah. And you know, whole family comes together. You have a little party kind of thing. You share food, share stories. Sometimes at a nine nights, someone might catch the spirit, which is just an old person pretending they've been possessed by the dead person, which is just bollocks, but you know, it happens. and. Okay, it's very fun sometimes, and other times you're like, what are you doing? And they just, they say it, so, like, in my experience, my family would do it to try and get stuff. So they, they say something like, well, oh, Sheila tell me she want, she want to give me that good teapot she had. And I'm like, no, she didn't. She didn't say that. Why are you lying? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, one of my aunties died, and I just thought, it's a really kind of interesting cultural set piece. Oh, Sorry, my Siri just heard me saying that for some reason. Uh, It's a really interesting cultural set piece from the Caribbean that I think is going to slowly start to die off with there being less uh, Caribbean immigration over here. And the new generation just don't really observe it in the same way that the olders did. And so I kind of wanted to preserve that. And then it, it was also around the same time that I was noticing brixton getting properly properly gentrified that's where you know they brought in a starbucks and starbucks is the death nail for for a non-white community because they they used to have a thing i can't remember where i found this out but they used to have a thing called a non-urban agreement or something like that i might have the words wrong there was basically that if a population is more than 50 percent ethnic so non-white they wouldn't bring a Starbucks there. If it was more than 50% white, then a Starbucks could be there because it was no longer classed as urban. And so it was when that Starbucks first come to Brixton, I saw it, I was like, oh, rah, Brixton, This it's, it's going to change. And so I kind of started looking at what gentrification was and what it meant to different people. And then I thought, well, hang on, gentrification, if you look at it, if you um, take a different perspective on it, when caribbean immigrants come into brixton back in the 60s 70s that could technically be described as gentrification because the old community was moving out gentrification is way more complex because it you know uh, there's stuff to do with money and corporations and blah 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 and the eradication of community but that moving on of one group and moving in of another group i just became very interested by that so a place for we started to look at first a family kind of stuck in the grips of gentrification in the Caribbean community in Brixton. Then it went back to 1971, uh, looking at a white family from Brixton and what they should do if they should stay there. And then it jumped forward in time to look at a gentrified family to to, um, uh, middle-class white people coming in and being part of that gentrification wave. And then looking at how it affected our original family from the start. So it's just all, all of that was going on when I first started writing it. And the initial theatrical
2: run was October, uh, November 2000, or 2021. Is it still, are you still running the show? Is the show coming back for another run? Uh, if people want to find out more about it, what can they do?
0: Uh, so we we've just finished the run on digital theatre which is uh basically online and you can stream it uh and it's just finished the run last night i believe which was uh sunday the 26th of june uh that will be coming back to digital theater for black history month so october of this year uh, a place for we will be available to stream anytime you want basically and i think you do something like you pay, I, I don't know, like a tenant to sign up or something like that. And you've got loads of uh, immortalised theatre things. But you know, yeah, we're talking about trying to trying to tour it or trying to take it our places. Covid has f***ed a lot of that, to be honest. That The conversation was a lot more fruitful before Covid happened. And then theatre has really properly been decimated because they, they need a guaranteed audience, which is why, you know, they'll do things like... Uh, they'll do a, a big hit or a Shakespeare or something like that, something they know people will come to. Whereas this, uh, a piece of new writing, even though it's been like award winning and nominated for an Olivier and that, there's no guaranteed audience coming to that. It's always a risk. So it's tricky, but we're going to, we're going to see what we can do. Pretty Dave, You've got a question.
1: Yeah. It's going to circle back to your comedy stuff. So um, how do you deal with hecklers?
0: Um, heckle is, is quite funny. People outside of comedy think that heckles happen all the time. They don't happen that often, really. And most of the time when a heckle does come, I, I basically ask questions, really, because most of the time it's people that think they're being helpful and they want to get involved because they think they're helping the show. And most of the time, there's no point in, you know, destroying that person, as it says online, because they literally just want to be there to help. So you just ask some questions, do a little bit of crowd work on them and move forward. If it is someone that's being a total prick, then I will just like, destroy them because it's a detriment to the show. If there's someone in the room, like I had one on uh, last week. And it, w- it was like, it was one of them proper posh guys who'd come out with the girl that I thought was his girlfriend, but it turned out to be his sister. So he would come out and he was just intent on making a show about him. So I just asked him about a bunch of questions. And then I asked, because he kept interrupting. And so then I said, you realise that when you interrupt, no one here likes you in it. Like even the girl you're with, she's like, who, who are you to this guy? And then she's like, I'm a sister. I'm like, look, you're so unpopular in your life, you've had to come out of your sister on a Thursday night. You can't even get a girl you don't know to come out with you the fact that you're in this room with your sister who is now avoiding you tells you everything you need to know bro just shut up i'm paid to do this you're not even popular in your own family so just just stop and like everyone else is laughing and he was laughing at the start and then he got upset and i'm like look you're upset now but you've made this happen i didn't want to do this i asked you five times to stop so this is what's had to happen. You're not going to beat me. I'm better than you at this. I'm smarter than you. I'm funnier than you. I'm more charismatic. Your sister likes me more. Just f-ing stay out of it. And you know that 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 will be when I go like probably too far. Uh, except I don't think that was too far. There's been times when i properly just like stopped a whole show and then had to do a counseling session kind of thing with someone who's clearly just not well. But this guy was just annoying. So most of, the t- most of the time, I just ask questions. Long story short, to your answer. I'll ask a question and they'll usually, because they're not expecting a question most of the time. They expect you to just go, oh, yeah, that was funny. Okay. Uh, but as soon as you just go, what made you think that was funny? Answer me that. And they're like, oh, I just thought I was hoping. Like, yeah, you're not. So, so your
2: tactic is to lull them into a false sense of security with questions and then destroy them just basically by insulting them?
0: If if needs be, I mean, I'd much rather not destroy a person uh, if I can avoid it because it you know it brings about an atmosphere. If I'm hosting a show anyway, and you know, I never I never want a comedy night to feel like someone's being bullied because I think there's that perception that if you go to stand up, oh, the front row is going to get bullied, blah blah blah, all of that. I don't want people to feel like that, so I'll try and take the piss out of them in a way that they can enjoy. But if they're proper, if they're just not getting it and what, not shutting up, then I kind of have to go like, look, this this is how little you mean to me in my life, so just stop. And yeah, I, I, I would rather it don't go that way, but sometimes that's what it needs to be for the show.
2: You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako.
0: And I'm producer
1: Dave.
2: And we're here with comedian Archie Maddox, who's been t- telling us how he handles hecklers as well as his uh theater show which is going to go on to digital uh, a place for we as soon as we get the opportunity uh, please archie give us the links that we can post with the show notes so that people can go and see it when it comes out now i want to stick with the comedy side of things uh because one of the things because part of your uh your history is that you've you've taken a show to edinburgh um and again critically acclaimed show in edinburgh uh, i want to talk about that aspect because there are people who are interested in either going to Edinburgh to go and watch a show or take a show to Edinburgh. Can you walk us through, first of all, what was the for your first experience at the Edinburgh um, Fringe Festival? What was that experience like and what was it like you setting up your own show to perform
0: there? Uh, my first experience of Edinburgh is it, like... Uh, it's like everything is dialed up the first time you go, because everything is so fast paced. There's things going on everywhere. It's such a mad alien world that you, like I I just lost my mind basically, you know, it's like like what I imagine it is the first time someone goes to a circus or something like that. It was that same equivalent because there was just so much going on and I loved it. And I love the spirit of Edinburgh still. I think the spirit of it, and the, the creativity that goes on is great. There's a lot of stuff around it that I don't like, uh, like, you know, the corporatization and the the kind of the money grabbing that goes on and the, the, over, the need to over hustle and uh, look through other people when you're talking at one of the industry bars and blah, all of that stuff, I'm not a fan of. Uh, but the actual festival itself, I think is at, at its core is the great and magical thing and the less money that can be involved in edinburgh the better the festival will be because it is it is a meritocracy when you know people they don't have pr and they don't have this but they have a great show and that kind of rises to the top it's harder to be a meritocracy when people can throw 20 grand at PR companies and marketing and blah 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 to get the word out there that they show showing there, get audience in and afford to lose so much money on the show when other people can't afford that uh so yeah all the, all the money stuff around it is quite annoying the taking a show up is a uh it's a slog I'll tell you that much it's it's f-ing hard man because you've got a in my case, I can't I can't speak to anyone else on how they do it. But in my case, I will do Edinburgh one of two ways. Either I'll go up with a show that is funny, or I'll go up with a show that has meaning. And that doesn't mean that the show with meaning doesn't have funny, but the show that will get more attention because there's some kind of message or some kind of different thinking behind it. The show that is just funny, even though it will be very funny for an hour. No one really cares. You know. you can go and have an hour long set that's hilarious and you can tour it after and that's great. But to do Edinburgh well, you need to have a show that kind of uh, transcends funny in a way, I think most of the time anyway. Um, And so, yeah, I'll do it one of two ways. I usually do one year with a show that has meaning, one year with a show that's just funny. And how many years have you been at Edinburgh? Before the pandemic, I'd gone up every year. I'd been doing stand-up. So I think I'd been up seven times in a row, maybe eight times in a row, seven times in a row, I think. Oh, so Edinburgh veteran. Veteran. Um, with that, it in- wouldn't go that far. People have gone up 30 years in a row, man. It's like, yeah, yeah, compared to someone who's never been to Edinburgh, it's sort of you
2: have all of the experience that, uh, that I would like to basically download from your brain and, uh, and impart to myself and to other people who want to do that. So, let, let me ask you one question. And I'll jump to producer Dave, who's got another question. Uh, if you were talking to somebody who is just starting out in stand up comedy. And uh they have said they want they've heard about Edinburgh they want to take a show up to Edinburgh or they want to go and perform in there. Uh, can you give us some do's and don'ts that they should uh consider or oh, even if a don't is don't go to edinburgh um can you consider any do's and don'ts that you will tell a starter in comedy about edinburgh french festival
0: uh i I would say for the first if if you want to go up and learn uh and be a better comedian then you know, take an hour up there before before you have an hour, you won't have a nice time. But you will learn to be a better comedian after the end of that run. I would say if you want to have a good time in Edinburgh, sh- the first couple of years share share the hour slot with someone or with two people. So you know, you could three of you do 20 minutes or two do half an hour or one do 45 and one do 15 and switch it around that that stops you from being put into Uh, the debut um, show category, because a debut show counts as an hour long show. So if you are like with one eye on the comedy awards or whatever, avoid doing an hour for as long as you can until you're really, really ready. Uh, I would say definitely go up on the free fringe if you're very, very new uh, and not doing an hour. That would make so much more sense. And there's a chance you might actually make money. Uh, I mean, the venue, could be. Shit. Some of them are some of them are great. The uh, the equipment might not be there. You will get sick. That happens to everyone every Edinburgh, the first uh, month you have Edinburgh fringe flu. Uh, although now, you know, that might be something else. So <laughs> just keep an eye out for that. Uh, and ju- just I would say, especially early doors first three or four years of going up there, don't take it too seriously you know, before, especially if you're not doing your debut show, just go up and try and have fun and learn and see stuff, see stuff that you wouldn't normally want to watch just to see what's going on. Uh, See things that you think will be terrible, so that you can kind of discern what's great and what's not. And yeah, take a chance on people out there, because that's what you're asking people to do with you. So definitely take a chance on some things you wouldn't have thought of. If you are doing a debut show and have one eye on the awards and stuff like that and getting the maximum amount of industry recognition, I, as sad as it is to say, because I just, I just talked about it a second ago, but I think you do need to spend the money. That's the problem with Edinburgh, is I think for your debut, definitely get PR, definitely get to one of the big five venues, uh, get a producer, get a director, splash out as much money as you can and then that will that will improve your experience in and around edinburgh really i would hate that i i do hate that that is the way it is but that is the way it is you know that's what edinburgh is so if you're not taking up a debut do it like it's the 80s and 90s and be all anarchic and sleep in a flat with 15 other people in a room and just be crap and up all night and if it's not that kind of you know chill out a little bit and eat properly get some nice places to stay and don't be out every night drinking and all of that stuff
2: fantastic those are great great pieces of advice um i'm picking all of them in my head i'm writing them down i'm going to listen to this over and over again produce today if you've got a
1: question Yeah, this has got nothing to do with any of your comedy. It's just going back to something you said earlier about working in a funeral home. Um, I wonder, have you ever seen Six Feet Under?
0: Yeah, yeah. I love Six Feet Under. I think it's one of the best TV shows I've ever made. Okay,
1: so tell me, has any of your experience working in a funeral home been mirrored in any of the Six Feet Under episodes?
0: Oh, yeah, loads of it. It's very accurate, very well researched. I mean, America is slightly different to over here. But yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff in there, you know, about the other other uh, funeral organisations trying to take up the little ones and have like a big kind of conglomerate funeral organisation, the, the preparation of a body or if someone has died, like, say, jumping in front of a train, which we used to get quite often, uh, the preparation of having to uh, do uh saving of of that body you know stitching them together doing makeup and all of that kind of thing and trying to make them as presentable as you could uh yeah all of that stuff is uh is very accurate
1: okay like, i wasn't expecting all that thing about the jumping in front of a train still, <laughs> hmm.
0: I don't know we're in london people jump in front of trains and tubes all the time man okay. Okay. i thought you were going to ask a question about
2: uh, the caribbean funeral because uh you seem to connect very uh, a lot when Archie was talking about the Caribbean funeral.
1: Oh yeah, the, the Nine Night, I mean, you explained it quite well, you know, that that is something that has been going on for a long time. And um, it depends on the, I think it more depends on the island you come from because it's stronger in say the Jamaican community than it is in some of the Bajan commun- communities where I don't always hear about the Nine Night. Like, I, I straddle the both, so I don't always hear about it. But yeah, so I thought I'd, I'd go for something a little bit more uh, funnier, but um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, tra- the train the train thing kind of derailed that. So, uh, moving on,
2: you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako
1: and I'm producer Dave.
2: And we're just wrapping up with Archie Maddox, comedian, playwright who's been talking to us about how to succeed as a stand up comedian, as well as his uh theater show, uh, A Play, A Place for We, which will be coming back soon on digital. We'll get uh, details from Archie and put that in show notes uh, Archie just one last question on the comedy side of things uh, before we wrap up and get your where you're performing next um, so in my research for, for standup comedy I've heard about things such as bringer shows and uh, you know bringer shows in the UK I've never heard about that until I kind of dipped my toe in uh, the comedy world what is a bringer show and is it something that you would recommend a comedian starting out should do
0: so bring a show is uh it's where you've got to bring a person to be able to perform basically it's open mic so it's not the professional stand-up circuit it's the open mic circuit it's for people very new uh just working stuff out and to be honest like a lot of people don't like bringers and i get why because if you don't have a person with you you know if you don't uh, mind your friendship group as deeply as you can you can't you can't perform at some gigs and i get that that's very annoying However, the, the saving grace of a bringer show, or a lot of bringer shows, is that there is an audience there. And in order to get better, you need an audience. There's no, from my point of view, there's only so much you can learn through gigging to other comedians, other uh, open micers, because they laugh at very certain things, and audiences laugh at another, because an audience and a performer are different. So there's no, for me, there's no point trying to impress other performers. Unless you know you're you're dying on your ass and you just want to make your friends laugh in the in the green room, which I will try and do, uh, but at an open mic, I I I don't think there's too much wrong with bringers per se. I think there's too many uh, in London, and I I don't like a bringer show or uh, I mean I, I I don't like them really, but I I don't think it's a good idea when bringer shows ask you. Uh, to pay when they when a person has to pay to come in I'm like well no hang on if you're bringing a person you're then asking them to fork out their money in order to see you do five minutes of let's face it what why that 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 doesn't tally for me so if it's a bring a show in order to perform but it's free I'm like all right cool that's that's fine people are going to get an audience and it might be all right it's annoying that there's so many in London for open micers I get that but I also understand why they're there. Um, what was the other part of the question you asked me,
2: when uh, was, was it a good idea? But which you you, you answered quite. Oh, yeah, okay. you answered very well. I mean, you've you said that there are plenty in, in in London, maybe too many. But obviously, if loads of people are trying to get into stand up comedy, uh, they have this sacrifice they need to make, right? Which is dragging some of their yeah. poor friends, like producer Dave, dragging him to come and see me do stand up. Uh, so at some point, I uh, tried to do a, a failed five minutes to see what happens. But, uh, you know, they, they've got to make their money somehow. Uh, Archie, are you going on stage anytime soon where people can watch you?
0: Uh, yeah, over the next couple of weeks, I'm at places like Angel Comedy, uh, Top Secret Comedy Store. I mean, I'm there in August, I think. Uh, and then around the country, I'm like in, uh, in Leicester and Nottingham and Bristol, those kind of places uh, just, just, I mean, yeah, just look, I've, I've, I don't put my stuff out cause I just can't be asked. So yeah, just look, it's, it's there. Wow. <laughs> it's like,
2: it's like, just, if you want to see me, just go Google. It'll be fine. You'll find me. I'm yeah. uh, speaking of looking up what, what are your social media tags
0: that people can use to follow you to be able to see where you're performing,
2: even though you're not posting it at any point.
0: Yeah, I I don't post really on social media anymore. I don't really use them. I don't uh, retweet when people (laughs) are like, oh, you're going to be here. Don't retweet it so no one can see. But uh, I'm at Archie Maddox on Twitter and Instagram, maybe Facebook. I'm not totally sure. I think I used to have a Facebook on there, but maybe. But I don't, I don't do anything. So if you want to follow me for no reason, then fine.
2: Actually, that then brings me to one final question. This is the last question, I promise, and I'll let you go. What does success in standup comedy
0: look like to you? For me, success is uh, just being being good. Success is being, yeah, uh, um, undeniably a good comedian. That's like it's not, it's not TV appearances. It's not lots of followers. It's not uh any of that stuff but it is being able to turn. to me it's being able to turn a room that doesn't like me into a room of fans who go oh that guy's funny do you know what i mean like i i would like to be able to go into a room that is full of people that i don't like personally you know like uh, people that, that vote for things I don't agree with, people that think things that I don't like, blah, 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 and then be able to go and make them people laugh with the stuff that I, I want to talk about, then I can go, all right, I'm a successful comedian. TV appearances are nice and uh, touring is great and blah, blah, blah. But for yeah, for me, as much as those things are very cool and uh, fun, I I would just like to be good. and getting better as a comedian which i think i am and yeah just yeah just being able to do nice gigs that i enjoy which i i have the luck of being able to do at the moment i don't have to do any ones anymore
2: archie thank you very much for taking the time to chat with myself and producer dave about your career um we will definitely look out for you and i will definitely do my best to attend some of your shows so i can learn from someone as uh as blasé about promoting their their <laughs> their performances as you are so but uh thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with us and chat today all
0: right thank you
2: And that was our conversation with Archie Maddox. Really funny, funny guy. Uh, I, I, Honestly, I, I was, I know I. he's a comedian. I was expecting him to be funny, but it's great when, you know, your expectations are met in that kind of situation. I've, I've done interviews with people I expected to be funny and we had to pry information out of them. Uh, <laughs> not, not, not naming names. You know who you are. <laughs> no, we know who you are. <laughs> Uh, you've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance One Hundred Four Point Four FM. I want to take this time to thank you all very much for listening to us. I I see the the downloads that are coming. There are particular people in particular areas of the world who still download our show, even though I rant and rave about things that are inconsequential to the world. Even though very important things are happening, and I choosing to just bury my head in the sand like an octopus like an octopus, like an ostrich. Sorry, <laughs> no, that's There's an interesting an octopus. one, octopus. <laughs> I. I can can octopus bury their head in the sand? I don't know. I would I would test that theory out. I, I would have, have thought squid. Oxen. Squid, yeah. But are they are they are, can they live in water and on land? Are they like um, what's that like amphibious? Are they amphibious? No, no, no. no but they live
1: in rock pools, so they'll sort of like they'll come up on the, on the beach and they'll live in the yeah. sort of like temporary pools that are there until. I think so. Anyway, oh. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a oceanographer or whatever. So. yeah. I'm I'm, I'm rambling. I don't even know what I'm talking about.
2: Well, I'm sticking my head in the sand like an octopus. So it's, it's all good. Uh, But you all listen to us ramble about this kind of stuff and you still listen to us. We want to thank you very much. We also want to thank Resonance FM as we always do every week for not listening to us. Otherwise, if they listen to one episode, they will cancel us immediately. So keep on not listening and keep on doing the good work. Uh, You've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus Diacco. I'm still producer Dave. And thank you very much for listening. And speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Go and watch The Boys. Go and watch The Boys. No, no, no.
1: Watch Big Boys.
2: Watch The Boys, then watch Big Boys, then go back and watch The Boys again, and then watch Big Boys.
1: Bye.